Hello, this is the weekly podcast of Bright Star Bible Church in Glenpool, Oklahoma. I'm Pastor Mike Branch, and I hope you're encouraged by the message from God's Word today. Father, we, we love you so much, and we thank you for your Son. And we thank you that while we were lost in our own sin and trespasses, that you loved us and you sent your Son to do the work that needed to be done to reconcile us to you, Lord. And Lord, we recognize today that not one of us has any place to cast stones. Lord, we know that we're all fallen and we're all depraved. And, and if it were not for your grace and your mercy, Lord, we too would be lost and separated from you. So, Father, today I pray that if there's anyone here in the room today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that you would begin even now to work on them through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that anyone here that that knows you but has walked away from you, that has not given you a place in their life, Lord, I pray that you would ignite them anew today revive them and wake them up to see how important your word is in their life and how important the local church, the family of God is in their life. So Lord, we we love you and ask you to prepare our hearts today as we receive the word. Lord, we know that sometimes your word is milk and it's easy to receive and sometimes it's meat and we we have to chew on it and sometimes it causes indigestion, Lord. And so today I ask that you prepare our hearts and our minds and that what would uh, precede the word today would be a spirit of just accepting that it's truth and that we should align our lives and our hearts with it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, First of all, I want to thank the folks who are joining us online. Uh, I always want to shout out to them because we do have people who watch every week and so we're excited that that you know our the ministry here can kind of uh go beyond these walls right here in this gymnasium and i also want to say a welcome to the blessed hope class uh the sunday school class in in uh como texas they're joining us as well and uh for this this particular series so we want to say thank you guys for joining us we're glad you're here um And uh, with this series and likely the next one, my hope is to get all of you guys to begin to see the big picture in Scripture, uh, to see God's hand at work and recognize the agenda of the enemy in our world and uh, and how he works within the affairs of men throughout uh, the history of man and where things are headed, okay, in the future. Um, If you don't recognize these things, you might become enamored by or consumed with the current state of affairs. Like, what are we going through today? And And that's just consuming you to the point that you never consider what God has done in the past. And you never consider what God is going to do in the future. So we can kind of be so focused on the here and now that we we don't really back up and get the bird's eye view of what God is doing throughout history. Okay? And where he's taking this whole thing. We realize that we're in a battle today. Like every day of our lives, we're in a spiritual battle. But we need to understand that our battles are part of this great war that began in the garden, way back in the garden with a, uh, you know, with a serpent and, uh, and a woman and a man 
And that first sin, I mean, that's where the battle started and the battle rages on today. The war rages on today. And each and every one of us are playing a part in that battle and in that war. Now, the danger when you get so consumed with what's happening around us is that um, we can be like the Pharisees. We can focus on temporal solutions, trying to fix things and figure things out today, and we just and we and we don't put our trust in God and what He's doing over time. And this is this is what Jesus was talking about when He told the Pharisees, "You you can look at the weather and you and you can predict the weather." But you don't see what's right in front of your face. I'm the Messiah. And you totally are missing it. You're so focused on your, uh, the inner workings of the, the pharisaical system, right? The religious law and all of that, that they were willing to crucify, to murder the Son of God because they were so consumed with what was happening in their day. And they couldn't step back and see the big picture and realize, as the wise men did... It could be figured out because the wise men figured it out that Jesus was the Messiah and that he was there to take away the sin of the world. So as Christ followers, we need to understand, again, that the battle we're in is a battle that is ongoing throughout the history of man and on into the future. And so we have to be engaged in that, but we have to be engaged daily. And we also get peace from the fact that we know God is taking this whole thing somewhere and we don't need to be afraid at all. Okay, And I understand that um, sometimes it's difficult not to be discouraged and not to be troubled. But you have to understand the direction that everything is going. All right? And, and the direction everything is going doesn't sound great. But it's the earth itself is headed toward decay. And it's wearing out like a garment, the Bible says. The earth itself is wearing out like a garment. It's getting older. It's not an eternal thing unless God continues to redeem the earth, okay? So yes, there are things happening in the earth that we've actually never seen before. And Jesus himself said it's going to continue to be such that one day people are going to faint for fear because of the things that are going on in the heavens and like the waves and the tides and the things that are going on on the earth. That's the way the earth is headed. And mankind is in a spiritual and physical decay as well. And ultimately... Uh, what will happen is man will rise up against God once and for all and shake his fist in the face of God and say, we want no part of you and rebel against God in all out rebellion against God. Okay. But the church, we have to push God's agenda no matter what. We have to push his agenda and we preserve righteousness to whatever degree we can. When Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, he was talking about their society, the way they preserved meat and goods. They would pack it in salt and it preserved it. Well, the church is a preservative. We hold back the decay as long as we possibly can until his glorious return. And God's word gives us clues about what we can look for and signs to watch for to know for certain that he's going to follow through and what he said he would do. He's coming back again. And many of the signs or events that Jesus said would take place have actually, many of them have taken place or the, 
the pieces are already set at the table, ready to be played. Like the chessboard is already set and ready to go. And there have already been several moves made. You understand? Like it's on. Like he's coming back and we're seeing the signs of around us. Okay. And over the next several weeks, we're going to cover these signs extensively. So you'll have a, a really clear and full understanding about what God's word tells us will be the signs of his second coming. The Bible tells us that as the time for Christ's return approaches, that evil and social chaos will actually grow and intensify exponentially. We will begin to see this decay uh, hit a new stride and it will begin to, to work its way through society. In 2 Timothy 2 Timothy 3.13, God's word says, But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So we don't hate these folks because they're deceived. We recognize they're deceived and we pray for their eyes to be opened. Okay, but we see what God's word says here from bad to worse. Again, it speaks of this progression towards godlessness. And the world has faced terrible, terrible times before. All we have to do is pick up a history book. And so have God's people. They've, they've, they've faced great persecution, you know, where it was a danger to even profess to be a Christian. And, and frankly, there are people all over the world today, Christians all over the world today, that face imprisonment and even death if they kept, are caught with a piece of the Bible or if they profess to be Christians in their current um, society, they can be thrown in prison or even killed today. Um, this is the decay of every good thing that God created in the Garden of Eden, everything that he intended to be good for you and I, everything that he instituted for us to, to, to bless us and to allow us to flourish and grow, those things are systematically under attack in our society. And it's important for us as the body of Christ to recognize that he set things up and the design was for mankind to steward, to preserve and to prosper. But what happened when we rebel against God, when we shake our fist in the face of God, then we fall into this cycle of fallenness as as uh, Ecclesiastes says, um, he says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. There's nothing new under the sun. This is the fallen cycle that, that mankind is caught in. And you and I are no different. We're caught in that cycle. But the thing, it's, it's growing worse and worse. But there's hope, all right? There's hope. Be, behind the fallen nature of man, we have to recognize, is an evil agenda, like we talked about last week. God's got his plan. Satan's got his plan. And then, man, we're just here for the ride, right? We're going to get all we can get in the moment. Whatever comfort, whatever fame, whatever fortune, whatever uh, power that that affords us, we're going to grab it up as much as we can. That's our plan. Get all you can get and then die, right? That's just kind of who we are. Um, but Satan has an evil agenda and his, he's got demonic forces that are bent on destroying everything and taking as many human beings to hell with him as possible. That's, that's his strategy. 
These forces are usually hidden and ignored by us. And was, when Jesus was walking around on the earth, what we saw was him basically throwing a rock at a hornet's nest. Just the presence of God walking in man's form on the earth stirred these things up to a degree that even before that, we didn't really see demons manifesting themselves. But Jesus stirred that up and they showed themselves to everyone. And we see all those accounts of him casting those demons out. Okay. And they were frankly terrified of him. There was no, there was no, uh, good versus evil there. They knew who he was. He was God and they were terrified of him. There was no competition. They knew that God was God. Amen. And, and so they would show up sometimes in the form of possession, sometimes in the form of oppression, but mostly the way they show up is in the manipulation of men and women who are in positions of power in government, uh, in warfare. That's how the enemy likes to move the world and, and just make men thirst for power and thirst for blood, and that's kind of been human history up until recent history where we've kind of been able to enjoy a time of peace. Uh, We have had some wars here and there, but it's nothing like the things that we saw in the past where just, you know, millions and millions of people were being being killed. So um, Paul tells us that these are principalities and powers. And in Ephesians chapter 6, Verse 12, Ephesians 6, verse 12. You guys have heard this over and over and over again, but it's, but this is not a fairy tale. This is Paul giving us sound doctrine here that this is what you need to understand. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So if you ignore this unseen reality, you're making a mistake. Beyond our reality, the things that we see are wicked forces, powers, authorities, and rulers working to thwart the purpose of God in man, the purpose of God in you. And so if they can get you distracted or deceived, that's their goal. And the world around us is distracted and they are deceived because honestly, the truth is sometimes too hard to take. It's just too hard to take. It hurts. It hurts to be the one to stand solely on what God's word says, knowing that it's going to cost us friendships and people that we love because it contradicts with what they consider to be truth. It's, under, it's, it's important to understand that these demonic forces are not, again, they are not rivals to God. Satan is not a rival to God. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Satan is the opposition to mankind and trying to thwart God's purpose in man. But if God wanted to, he could simply just say the word and Satan would cease to exist. But there is a purpose in evil while God is not... Uh, part of evil itself, mankind and, and the potential for evil was there in the free choice that God gave us. And so when we choose to rebel against God, we partake in uh, the opposite of light, which is darkness. Okay. And apart from darkness, well, God himself is defined by goodness and light. 
There is no darkness in him. So don't get caught up in this idea that if we say that God knows or allows evil, that he himself is to blame for that evil. That's not how it works, okay? Um, I'm not saying again today, y'all, that, that we should see a demon under every rock. I remember when I read the Frank Peretti books when I was real young. I don't know if you guys have read those books, This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness. It was like all of a sudden I went through a period thinking, oh, there's a, there are demons everywhere. There's a demon over there. There's a, you know, that's not what I'm talking about today, okay? But you do need to understand that those forces are out there and, and very, very likely are moving the chess pieces uh, amongst ungodly men and women in the world in order to thwart the plan of God. Um, and then don't get into the mindset that the devil made me do it. The devil doesn't make you do anything and neither do demons. If you do something stupid or wrong, it's because you chose to do something stupid or wrong. They can tempt you, but that's all on you, okay? The devil does not make you do anything. Um, as mankind yields to our need for instant gratification, for power, and for comfort, more and more ground is then taken by the enemy. And that's what we're seeing in our world today, um, very similar to the days of Noah. Jesus himself in Luke 17, 26, Luke 17, 26 he says, and just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. So he's saying, uh, before Christ's glorious return, the world will be just as wicked as it was when God said that sin had corrupted his way upon the earth to the degree that the earth and mankind needed to be destroyed. He's saying there will be a sinful equivalent to that wickedness. When I decided, when, when the Father decided to destroy the earth in the flood, he's saying it will reach those levels again. Okay? Uh, only the next time, rather than destroying everything, he's going to redeem all things. And there's, there's the hope for the believer. He's not going to destroy things. He's going to redeem them. Well, what about then the church establishment? What about... Um, the, all the Christians out there, are they impervious to this attack? Are they impervious to this decay? Well, it too, the, the church institution will be infiltrated and institutionalized by the philosophies and the ways of the world. And that's why this is so important. That's why I'm such a stickler. That's why we are careful about the worship songs that we sing. That's why we're careful about the things that we teach and the things that we endorse. Because we don't want to put our stamp of approval on something that's leading people into deception. Second Timothy 4 uh, one through five. I'm actually going to start with verse three. Second Timothy four, starting in verse three. For the time will come again. Remember, it's it's telling us something that's going to happen in the future. All right. And, and folks, I, I really do believe that much of this we're we're in the thick of it. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with. To their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And this is what we're seeing happening 
in the body of Christ. We're seeing the desire for entertainment. We're seeing the desire to be coddled and comforted uh, outweigh the need for truth. And so we turn away from truth and turn aside rather to myths. And when those who claim to be followers of Christ shrink back from their call to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the world falls further into darkness. Do you understand? When we're afraid to speak up and, and, and tell the truth because we're afraid it might hurt someone's feelings, right? Then, then we're shirking our responsibility and our call as the body of Christ to be light in the darkness. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 5, 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 5. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come for men will be lovers of self. That doesn't sound familiar at all, does it? Uh, Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. Isn't it interesting that that's included in there? Disobedient to parents. Yeah, keep those kids in line. Uh, Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to, listen to this, It gives this long list of these wicked, wicked things. And then it says this, holding to a form of godliness. Now, how does that happen? It's when we claim to be godly, but the lives we lead contradict with what God's word outlines what godliness is. They hold to a form of godliness But yet what defines them are all these wicked things. Although they have denied its power, avoid such as these. Now, I'm going to tell you, uh, and I've preached a message on social justice. I believe that is the battle of our day. That, That it is a form of godliness, but it denies the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. It says we can fix social problems ourselves. Man can fix the problem in these different uh, government programs or even riots or protests or whatever you want to call it, they, it's pointing to the fact that man can fix it instead of the only thing that can fix it, which is the shed blood of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the power unto salvation, not our social programs. So to point to anything other than the cross is leading people astray. It is a form of godliness. And then he says, he finishes it off with an exclamation point, really saying, avoid such as these. Avoid such as these. The body of Christ has no business dabbling in anything other than pointing people to the cross. That's it. That's where the power is. And that is where salvation uh, is found, is in the cross of Jesus Christ. So what does all of this mean for us? How can we recognize the spiritual powers behind the powers of men or the power of men? I believe to recognize and understand it, although it's a little bit frightening 
It's a little bit unsettling when we look at the world around us and we consider where things are going and what that might mean for us in the future and what that might mean for uh, Christianity. Um, We know that God is going to unfold his will exactly as he means to, that nothing can thwart the plan of God. Not even all of the the powers of darkness combined. Not even all the powers of darkness combined with all the powers of men. God has no enemy. There is none like him. He will accomplish his will. And we need to really latch on to that and hold on to that. Okay? Um, What we know lies ahead, he told us. He's given us the information. And he's told us there will be signs to let us know that he is in control and everything's going to be just fine. Okay? So everybody take a big, deep breath after this week. Okay? Take a big, deep breath and, and encourage yourself with the word. God is in control. God is in control. And I'm like you. I get frustrated. I get a little angry from time to time about the situation. And, and, and when I see injustice, I get angry. I, I, I don't like injustice. I don't like people suffering. Uh, I want to see Jesus restore things again and make uh, all things new. I want to see him, those who reject him and, and the, the people who are just evil and hurting children and, and hurting the impoverished and hurting uh, God's people, that he would bring them to justice once and for all. That's my prayer, and I know that, I know that that's coming, okay? But again, no matter what happens, we can have peace and we can trust him. So let's remember that today, all right? Can I get an amen? He, all right, let's have peace in that. There's a movie that came out in 2018 called uh, Joker, and it's unsettling. It was a very popular movie. It's very unsettling how it pinpoints the mindset or state of being of many of what I would call secular younger generations today, right now. The, the, the people that we, that, uh, that we live with, a lot of the secular people who don't know God. He, he says this, quote, is it just me or is it getting crazier out there? Is it just me or is it getting crazier out there? Uh, anybody out here ask yourself that question? <laughs> yeah, every day. Yeah. Uh, I know I've done the same thing. And it's interesting that our country is kind of like a controlled experiment. It's a, it's a microcosm of, of the world, of, of human history, uh, because we've seen a country that was founded on Judeo-Christian beliefs. We've seen that kind of spiral out of control. This is certainly not the country that I grew up in. I can tell you that for certain. This is not the country that I grew up in. This nation was founded on the idea that we were accountable to a higher power. God was the core, was the foundation of this country, this great experiment, okay? And um, we knew these folks who founded our country— when we study them, they had different disagreements about how God interacted with man, whether or not he was transcendent and we simply couldn't know God or whether God was present with us all the time. What we know scripture teaches is God is both present and he's transcendent. And that's a beautiful thing. But, um, 
All of them knew that without that foundation, without that anchor of accountability and morality, that any society was doomed to fail. All right. And so men are free. Men are free. That's what they that's what they as a matter of fact, quoted. We hold these truths to be self-evident. This is this is just common sense. This truth is self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. These these rights that God gave man outside of the bounds of even government, that pretty much if I'm not stealing your stuff or hurting you, then I'm free to do as I please and no outside force should come in and take my stuff or hurt me. That's kind of the way God set it up, okay? And there was an accepted truth in the founding of this great country based upon the Ten Commandments. Five commandments that were directed toward God and five commandments that were directed toward our fellow man, our neighbors. So Jesus summed it all up. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. And that's basically what this country, the truth was founded on, and it was the bedrock of our society, okay? And as usual, when most of us are young, we push back against the authority, right? We're young, we're coming up in age, and boy, we've got it figured out. Our, my grandpa, my dad, they don't really, like they're old school. They don't really understand the world the way I understand it. That's kind of the way we all are as we're coming up. And we, it's natural to push back against uh, the, the structure of our father, that's a, that's a natural thing. But what's also natural is eventually we, we move, we understand that, oh, wait, maybe I don't have things all figured out at the age of 16. Maybe I don't understand the world, you know, um, in its entirety, in my grand wisdom at the age of 21. Maybe my mom and dad actually know something. Maybe my grandparents actually understand something that I don't understand yet. Okay. And so normally we push the envelope and then we come back and realize, okay, we're going to, we're going to work within the, the, the confines and the, and the, the structure of the family and the way things are set up. But what I'm talking about now is uncharted territory, completely uncharted territory where they no longer push the envelope. They just tear the envelope up. They burn the envelope. They say there is no envelope, <laughs> right? And, and there's no desire. There's no end in sight. Nothing that we see uh, that, that these folks are going to come back into the fold as we did. There was, a, there was a kind of a funny little quip I heard years ago that said, if you're young and not liberal, you have no heart. But if you're old and not more conservative, you have no brain. <laughs> and, and that's just a, a short little funny illustration to show the transition that we all go through. But what I'm telling you is that there is no place for this transition anymore. That they've, they've basically changed the fabric of reality. In that same Joker film, toward the end of the movie, the main character is being interviewed by kind of a Johnny Carson type character. And the interviewer asks him, he says, yeah, when I was young, you know, we sowed our wild oats and, and we pushed back against authority and all that. So what about you? What do you believe in? And the character looked at him and said, I don't believe in anything. 
I don't believe in anything. And what we see now is this this structure that the fabric of who we've been, not just in this nation, but as as humankind toward one another. The things that we've always believed were true are now being challenged. They're now saying we don't believe in anything. And it is the mindset of the majority of secular young people today. And um, it isn't the type of thing that we've ever witnessed before in this particular country. All right. Um, What they would call the hierarchy, this this oppressive hierarchy, father, mother and children. That's under attack and it's been under attack. The family, the, the white heterosexual male is is enemy number one in our society. I mean, that's, that's just the way it is. We're the, we're the number one oppressor, according to these folks. And the stay-at-home mom is disgusting. Uh, religion and faith is disgusting, unless, of course, the, the culture gets to define the religion and the faith. Unless we get to tweak it and change it uh, to fit our personal needs and desires. And again, the things we've always believed, the things that we felt made us uh, reflect the image of God in our society, loving God and loving our neighbor is now uh, considered to be steeped in racism and steeped in sexism. And it was all wrong. And, and this new enlightened mindset has begun to, to spread across culture all around the world. And those beliefs, according to them, must be destroyed. And anyone holding to those old ways of thinking, they're either going to be canceled, they're going to be reconditioned, or they will be silenced to whatever degree that takes. And that's what we've seen, this this, um, idea, this question that, strangely, Pilate asked Jesus, veritas, truth, what is truth? There is no truth. That's exactly what's going on. They say truth is fluid, that it changes. There's only my truth. There's only my experience of the world and how I was brought up and what I learned as I was coming up, and that is truth. God's word isn't truth. My experience is truth. So all that we've worked for in society, everything that we've ever known right now, and and I'm not dramatizing this, everything that we've known right now as a society and as in, in Christendom is under attack by the enemy. And there will always be a remnant of people who understand what the word of God actually teaches. And they will hold to the word of God because they love people, not because they hate people. And it will be described as hate. You will be described as a hater or phobic or whatever they want to label you as. But we know different Our call is to shine the light in darkness. Our call is to love those who have rejected God and pray for them and hope that they will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and will not spend eternity separated from a holy God. To allow people to go their direction and never lift a finger and never say a word is not love. That's hatred. And that's that's just the truth. Right under our noses, the enemy 
has infiltrated and indoctrinated almost an entire generation. And we're going to talk about this as the weeks go on. I'm going to give you examples of how they've, they've rewritten history and they've rewritten vocabulary. They've changed the meaning of words. And if you understand this changing of history, if you understand the vocabulary that's being changed, then you can recognize the world around you and it'll help you navigate as a believer and help point people to the truth. But if you don't know what's going on, if you're ignorant of it, you're going to miss it and you're not going to be able to share the gospel with people in a way that they truly can grasp a hold of. All right. Um, the ball was dropped a long time ago. Like we, we took prayer out of schools. We, we, we went the, the way of Romans chapter 1 around verse 18 to the end of the chapter. I've mentioned that before. And I remember not too long ago, I asked the question, does God still pour out his wrath? Does God still pour out his wrath? Even in this current age, do we see, is there biblical evidence that God pours out his wrath? Because you rarely hear anything from pastors or churches pointing to the fact that there could be a nation or a people or a culture under judgment. Well, God's word makes it very, very clear that, you know, God does have a form of wrath that he pours out or that he allows to happen today in our modern culture. If you go to most churches today, if you're around most professing Christians today, Jesus is all like hugs and cuddles and love and bubbles. And, you know, like there's not there's not an alternate side to him at all. OK, um, there's no judge judgment or or vengeful side or wrathful side of him at all. And we think that that's all Old Testament stuff. Um, and let me just say this too. The way God's wrath works is that God's wrath is postponed in his patience and mercy. He's, he postpones his wrath. He stores it up. He waits for the cup to be full of wickedness or wrath before he pours that wrath out. Currently, he's got seven bowls waiting in the wings that are being filled up with his wrath that in Revelation he will pour those bowls out. That wrath will be poured out upon the inhabitants of the earth and the enemies of God, those satanic forces, and he will judge them once and for all. But but as, as the... Um, you guys been to a water park and you've seen that bucket up on the pole that the water goes into. And when it gets to a certain level, it tilts and pours out. Well, that's how scripture describes God's wrath, that it's stored up, that it's a cup or a bowl. Okay. And that it's being filled up and that in his mercy and his goodness and his, and his loving kindness, he gives us chance after chance, after chance, after chance, after chance. But one day, at one particular point in time, I know it was powerful, wasn't it? At one particular point in time, I love it when I say something so profound that people just drop stuff. <laughs> so at one particular point in time, it fills up and then tips over and God's wrath is poured out. I want to show you a couple uh, I'm going to close here in just a few minutes, but I want to show you a couple of scriptures. Hebrews chapter 10, verses, or verse 31. Hebrews 10, verse 31. You've, you've heard this saying, 
Okay? This is New Testament. It's not Old Testament. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. So without Jesus... You are an enemy of God. The word of God describes you, defines you as an enemy of God, rebellious against God, working against the ways of God. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the book of Nahum chapter one, verse two. And this is to illustrate what I was uh, talking about earlier. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. Again, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you are the enemy of God. He's keeping wrath, storing it up. And you might say, well, that's Nahum, that's Old Testament. Well, what about the scripture that says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever? There's coming a day where that side of God will be seen once again. Psalm 75 verse 8, Psalm 75 Verse 8, for in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it. All the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs, meaning he is going to pour out every last drop of his judgment upon the wicked. Revelation chapter 16, verse 19, Revelation 16, verse 19, the great city was split into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great. Now Babylon always calls back to Babel, which we talked about, which is this secular humanism that we can do it without God. And that is the wickedness that's always at the core of man's sinfulness is Babylon the great or Babel the great. That same spirit, that antichrist spirit, we can do it on our own. We can do it without God. And he says, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. That's New Testament. That's Revelation. That's not Old Testament, all right? I could show you many more passages referring to God's wrath in the Old Testament and in the future, in the end times as well. Now, who's the lamb? Who's the lamb of God? It's Jesus. We all know that, right? So in the book of Revelation, there is an actual phrase, and the phrase is the wrath of the lamb. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world In this particular period, when the cup fills up, then the lamb will pour out his wrath upon the wickedness. And he will righteously judge because he did everything that he could do to offer mankind a way out. To offer mankind mercy and grace and forgiveness. And instead they spit in his face. And instead they rebelled against him. And Jesus himself said to Nicodemus under the cover of night, they love the darkness more than they love the light. So the answer is, if God still pours out his wrath, he doesn't pour it out today, but he removes his hand. Today, his, and I'm going to give you some homework because I was going to go through this whole other passage, okay, but... Um, I'm not going to keep you all here because I think I could preach another 20 minutes. But, but I want you to go to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to the end of the chapter. And I want you to study that. And it starts out like this, verse 18. For the wrath of God, this is New Testament. For the wrath of God 
is revealed from heaven. So it's coming from him, revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because they are unrighteous, they suppress the truth. They change the truth. They say there is no truth. They say there is only my truth. They suppress the truth. It's a cover-up on a grand scale, a wicked conspiracy. And what are they covering up? That there's a holy God who loves us. There's a holy God who created all things. And that God seeks and has done everything He can do at this point to, to reach you with His love and forgiveness. And when we reject Him, and when society rejects Him, He simply removes His hand of protection. And I believe, I want you to do this as homework. Read through this passage and see if you recognize these things in our life and in our country today. And that will answer the question of whether or not God has removed his hand from this nation. Now, don't get me wrong. God does not remove his hand from the remnant. You still have everything you need to be salt and light. You still have everything you need in the body of Christ to do what God's called you to do and, and, to, and to do the work of an evangelist. You have everything you need. But we need to be real about our situation. I'm not so sure that when we kill the unborn, and we have for many, many decades now, I'm not sure that when we have turned completely around and redefined what sex is in our society, what gender is in our society. I'm not sure when the leaders of our land are advocating for six, seven, eight-year-old children to get changes depending upon whatever sex they or gender mom and dad wants them to be or they think they are. I'm not sure that we can pray God bless America anymore. I'm just being real with you guys. Maybe we should start praying, God, bless the gospel. God, give me what I need to do what you've called me to do. And then understand that there may need to be some changes in your life. Now, I'm not talking about legalism here. I'm not talking about, you know, I want you to pray and ask the Lord, what is it that I can do to cut out the chatter, to cut out the distractions, to be the person God has called me to be right now, to be salt and be light. What has God called me to be? And then do whatever you have to do. But the thing I beg of you is that you understand in your heart of hearts that God's word is absolute truth. It is the anchor. It is the foundation for the body of Christ. And if we want to know what is true, we have to know God's word. We cannot be observers anymore. We have to dig into the Word of God and understand that the times in which we live require us to know the truth of God's Word so that we can tell deception when we see it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know that looking around us and taking stock of the world around us and the situation that we're actually in is not always uh, encouraging, but Lord the Spirit is always encouraging and the Word is always encouraging because we know that our sights are set 
on eternity. We know that this is the testing ground, that this is the mission field, that this is our opportunity to serve you and love you and be who you've called us to be. Lord, with all of our resources and all of our talents and all that we are, Lord, we give to you today. We ask you, Lord Jesus, to use us in a way that you never have before. Lord, knowing what the truth is and knowing who we are in you, we will stand in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and proclaim it with boldness and know, Lord Jesus, that you are in control, that you will do everything that you said you would do. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we ask for your touch in our lives to do exactly what you've called us to do. And Lord, I pray against the deception of the enemy. I pray against, Lord, um, these spiritual forces, the darkness that seeks to thwart the plan of God in me and in these people sitting here today. And I pray your hand of protection over them today that you would give them an insatiable thirst to be in your word and to know the truth so that they can see deception and they can speak out boldly against it in love. Lord, let us be a people of love. It's in your name we pray and we give you the glory. We love you, Jesus. Amen.